Welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest and a recovering addict, alcoholic, living here in Austin, Texas. And the purpose of these uh, podcasts are to try to go a little bit deeper into the history of Alcoholics Anonymous and also into some of the psychology uh, that, that surrounds it, uh, kind of get to some of the deeper levels of what uh, recovery and change uh, are really all about. So uh, if you haven't done so already, I would encourage you to please go to our website. It's titled Two-Way Prayer, T-W-O, and that is the form of prayer and meditation that was often done in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, also encourage you to attend one of our workshops, try to do a monthly workshop on uh, either uh, the two-way prayer, teaching you how to do it, also doing a workshop on, on the 12 steps, some of the history in the background. It kind of helps make them simpler and easier to understand. And uh, I think we've complicated uh, this recovery process uh, substantially and uh, made it difficult for people. So my thing is, uh, if you understand the history and how they did it in the early days, I think you'll find your way to a simpler way of working the program and hopefully a more effective one as well. Uh, that said, <laughs> we're going to dive into uh, a subject area that is, is kind of deep. Uh, we're looking at the nature of consciousness. You know, having had a spiritual awakening, spiritual experience in the 11th step, we're in conscious contact. It talks about a transformation that's going on here, a change of one level of consciousness to another. Big book talks about about it uh, in, as, as how we should now how we now come to see the world and what our place is within the world. So I think this consciousness thing is a uh, it, it can be a little difficult, uh, but I think it's worth diving into. And a, a fellow who has really helped me with that over the years is a Jungian uh, psychologist by the name of Robert Johnson. I like his work because it's simple, pretty easy to understand. Uh, and uh, he takes Jung's concepts, which I think are, are really important for uh, us in recovery, takes them, breaks them down uh, into digestible pieces, let's say. That's what he's doing in this book called Transformation. It's in the show notes and really encourage you to get a copy of it. It's, uh, it's really helpful. Uh, I'll probably write it eight or nine times. Uh, keep going back to it because uh, there's a depth to it that I often miss in one of my readings. So let's, let's just jump in here. He talks about three levels of consciousness in his book. And uh, it breaks them down this way. He says there's simple or two-dimensional consciousness. There is complex or three-dimensional consciousness. And then there's enlightened or fourth-dimensional consciousness. And, and that's what's uh, mentioned in the big book, that uh, we, we entered a fourth dimension of our existence that, that we never knew uh, was even there. And uh, <clears throat> so, so we're going we're gonna to study these, look at them, uh, tr try to tease them apart and, and see if we can't uh, gain some uh, benefit from this study. Now, Johnson believes that the great majority of us are, are stuck at the second level, uh, 
the complex level of consciousness and, and that the simple or two-dimensional level has almost totally disappeared. Uh, it's just not around anymore. Uh, and and, uh, and so in this episode, we're still going to try to understand what simple consciousness is about, because even though it's, it's not our normal way of awareness, I still think it exists, and, and so does Johnson, at a very deep level of our psyches, of our minds, but we don't have access to it. So we're going to try to follow Johnson's lead uh, by using the fictional character of Don Quixote uh, to help us understand what's meant by this term, um, simple consciousness. And Johnson says, in two-dimensional uh, or simple consciousness, the inner world and the outer world are joined. There's no real separation. What happens to us uh, in one is the way we see it happening to us in the other. Some people would describe it as primitive consciousness, childlike consciousness. Uh, to the modern or complex mind, it looks very immature, unsophisticated, unquestioning. Primitive tribes would have this kind of connection from the inner world to the outer world. We expect this kind of consciousness to appear in a young child, but then we expect them to grow up and to grow out of it and to leave it behind. Of course, that, that is our problem, isn't it? As al alcoholics and addicts, uh, we put that growing up uh, uh, off as long as we can. But think of the child in relationship to its parents. Think of the child's consciousness, that there's no sense of separation between the child and the mother. And this is what psychologists will tell us, eh? that their worlds are joined. And, and in literature, Johnson says, you know, look at uh, Adam and Eve. Think of living in the Garden of Eden, what that story is trying to portray. That for Adam and Eve, their level of consciousness was very limited. All of their needs were immediately met. God was immediately available to them. He would uh, walk and talk with them in the cool of the evening. I don't take that literally, but I take it as a level of consciousness that the writers of scripture were trying to convey that there was a simpler time, a time when things were joined, a time when all was one. That's the level of consciousness that we're talking about here. And that's the level that hardly exists anymore. So again, the inner world and the perceived outer world are the same. Therefore, there's no anxiety, no fear, but there's also no mature awareness either. And that's the problem. People are meant to grow up, uh, but when they do, the complex or divided uh, sense of self begins to appear. There's a division that happens within us. A lack of unity creates a great deal of fear and, and anxiety uh, in, the, in the more modern layers of consciousness. So Johnson begins his study 
of simple consciousness by looking at uh, Don Quixote, as I said. And the story was written around the year 1600. It's written when the medieval period of European consciousness was starting to change and it was changing dramatically and it was changing permanently. Let me quote Johnson's description at some length about the novel. He says, the novel is a definitive portrait of the medieval romantic troubadour who lived his two-dimensional life as if it were a mystical revelation straight from heaven. The story is about Don Alonso, an ordinary 17th century Spanish man of not much education or position. At age 50, he has read so many books on chivalry and has grown so weary of his uneventful existence that he becomes enamored of the vivid, rich stuff of knighthood and chivalry. He takes the name Don Quixote, which is the term for that bit of medieval armor that covers the thighs and the genitals. He is, in effect, Sir Codpiece, a wonderful entry into the world of imagination. Johnson goes on to say, do you remember the Fisher King in the Holy Grail legend who was wounded in his thighs? Don Quixote is the unwounded one since his armor covers that delicate part of his anatomy where the wounded Fisher King is suffering, groaning with agony, worrying, fretting, his wound incurable for most of his life Don Quixote is free, optimistic, happy, and sure of himself. These are the chief characteristics of two-dimensional man, and we can only envy his assurance and certainty, never having suffered the fall from the Garden of Eden, he retains the state of unconscious perfection. So this is a man who in effect never grew up, who's stuck uh, in a childish level of consciousness. And so, and this is an important point. And so he attracts into his life his opposite because that's the only way he's gonna learn. See, it's the nature of consciousness. Uh, if it is gonna change, if it is gonna grow, it has to rub up against something different, something of its opposite. And his opposite comes in the form of his sidekick, uh, Sancho Panza. His name means Mr. Paunch, Mr. Potbelly, exact opposite of Don Quixote. Don Quixote is tall, Sancho is short. Don Quixote is thin, Sancho is fat. Sancho is practical, immediate, and ruled by his appetites. Don Quixote is impractical, a hopeless dreamer, ruled and driven by some sort of an inner quest. Johnson compares this pair of opposites in the Bible to Cain and Abel, to Jacob and Esau, to David and Jonathan. In later days, you might compare it to Mutt and Jeff, to Abbott and Costello. Johnson says, it is ego and shadow 
that pair of opposites in every psyche that differ in every aspect, but are inseparable. And so what that means is, is that there's two parts of, of, of every human being. There's, there's the conscious awareness part, but there's also hidden beneath that an unconscious level of uh, uh, awareness that, that the, the conscious mind is, is, not, is not conscious of, right? or, or it wouldn't be unconscious, uh, but it affects us, you see? It's affecting us. And uh, so, so we have our shadow, our denied parts, our pushed down parts. Uh, and, and this is really operational in the, um, in the life of an addict because uh, we're doing things that are not, uh, not acceptable to us. And so uh, we call it denial, but we push it down. We don't want, we don't want to even know about it ourselves. And, and this becomes the shadow that we're dragging around with us, that we're trying to shove into the basement to get it out of our, our awareness, out of our consciousness. So this inseparable pair of opposites in the case of uh, uh, Don Quixote and Sancho, they set off on a number of adventures, journeys. Eh? And the first one is probably the most famous. I'm sure you're aware of it. You know, it's tilting with windmills. Don Quixote in the story sees some 30 windmills off in the distance. And, uh, and he thinks that they're knights, knights of the round table with long arms and lances, and they've come to do battle with him. They're just windmills, Sancho screams to him. Don't you see? But of course, that's the problem. Don Quixote doesn't see. So Don Quixote charges at the windmills, you know, thinking that they're knights. And immediately a strong gust of wind sets the windmills going and they knock him off his horse. Does he learn? No. Did we learn uh, when our drugs knocked us down? When a, a very distorted and immature inner vision set us and kept us on a destructive path? Uh, my answer is no. Our inner conscious world is, was just as real and just as unreal as Don Quixote's to understand it for recovery. Um, I remember when uh, I had lots and lots of uh, questioning going on in my mind about the reality of my own alcoholism in the early, early days, you know, are you really an alcoholic? And I'm uh, talking to people, I know I'm not the only one who's, who's undergone this. And, and it wasn't until I had the insight, the awareness, the consciousness, that part of my illness is that there's always gonna be a part of my unconscious mind that is telling me I am not one, <laughs> you know? Uh, and that's held true, I'm telling you, for almost 50 years now. In the beginning, it was strong, but over time, it's, it's mellowed a little bit. But every once in a while, it pops up out of the unconscious, the shadow part saying, hey, you can do this thing, you know, you can do it.
kind of a form of madness, you might say. Anyway, so anyway, uh, now a third person in the in the in the group shows up, and she she plays an important role. Her name is Dulcinea, uh, and uh, it means sweetness. Uh, let, me, let me read another section from Johnson's book. It says, Don Quixote and Sancho Panzo set forth to find Dulcinea, the sweetness of life, and to make the chivalrous journey that is the ideal of medieval man. Don Quixote admits under his breath that he's not sure Dulcinea even exists, but he vows to give his life for her. They never find Dulcinea, but she animates their journey from beginning to end. It is the fair lady who is the eternal quest of medieval man, whether she's real or not, as Don Quixote admits. She exists in the heart of the searcher, which is all that matters to two-dimensional man. He never tests this inner vision against outer reality. Once he begins such testing, the two-dimensional quality is irretrievably lost. Two-dimensional man lives constantly in the realm of fantasy and imagination. Those infallible worlds that never fail one in an inner sense. They are the Garden of Eden, perfection, total reliability. They fail Don Quixote constantly in the outer world. And if you examine this story from the point of view of three-dimensional consciousness, it is a lesson in futility and childishness. Most modern people read Don Quixote in this manner and treasure it as an expose of medieval nonsense. If we can escape this prejudice, even for a moment, we may find a world of inner reality in this masterpiece. Don Quixote is creating poetry, not reality. Heaven, love, idealism, hope, justice, chivalry, eternity, all are inner realities as palpable and real as any outer realities our world holds in such high esteem. Don Quixote's optimism ruins everything around him, but it finally proves to be correct. He loses every time he relies on his sword. It is his poetic imagination that is virtuous. Don Quixote is pure spirit disguised as fantasy. The true hero is a poet, whether he likes it or not. For what is heroism, if not poetry? This is the vision of two-dimensional man and is the stuff of nostalgia and fantasy for every three-dimensional man in people all around the world. So I said this is powerful stuff, and it's, and it's at, the, at the deeper levels of consciousness. And modern man 
would question, well, why are you standing up to this? You know, it's David against Goliath. It's the hero going up against the fiery dragon. But it stirs within us something more noble, maybe less practical, but it's inside each and every one of us. Johnson's point that inside reality is just as important and maybe more important than the outside. That the inner life that we don't look at too closely, that we don't reflect upon, that we don't allow into our consciousness, that the inner life can have a huge effect on the outer life. I think about the new person starting off in recovery. The outside odds seem and feel insurmountable. But if we can get into conscious contact with another source of power, then the impossible becomes possible. Why? Because there's a shift going on in my consciousness, a shift in this case to a taste of the fourth dimension. Maybe it's real, maybe it's possible, maybe it's there. It's another little episode. Don Quixote enters a village where he sees a castle on the skyline. On the street, he's met by several women of doubtful virtue, whom he hails as ladies of the court. So he comes into town and there's a group of prostitutes who meet him. A droll conversation ensues in which they try to ply their trade, but he treats them as the imaginary ladies of his fantasy. His courtesy is so strong and convincing that the women of the street are momentarily transformed into the courtly ladies of his expectation. Don Quixote and Sancho are taken to the local inn where they find the fair to be a sumptuous banquet befitting their status. Here again, says Johnson, is the juxtaposition of inner reality and outer reality with the inner vision triumphing over the outer. Three-dimensional thinking would find this story as ridiculous as the windmill episode, but viewed from the imaginative kingdom of the two-dimensional man, here are unshakable reality and romance and chivalry. The two-dimensional man lives in the triumph of inner reality over outer. The women of the streets become women of the court. The women of the night become ladies of the day. Alcohol and addicts are reborn. We start to become who we always were and we're always meant to be, but we couldn't see it. It was inside of us all along, but we didn't believe it, see? And that's all of our stories. It's every story in recovery, becoming the true self that was and is buried inside.
You know, in teaching uh, people about two-way prayer, I, I often tell them uh, to use their imaginations. Imagine that God is speaking to them. In other words, put on two-dimensional consciousness uh, and, and imagine this in whatever form you like, whatever form is comfortable for you. But imagine that God is speaking. And then I encourage them to use a term of endearment when God first addresses them. My beloved, my child, my sweetheart, my precious, my beautiful one. People say it's uncomfortable at first. It feels awkward, did for me. But after a while, we start to believe it, start to believe that it's true, come to see that that's exactly who we are inside, innocent, precious children of God. That's the fourth dimension of our existence the fourth dimension of our reality. It's going back to an experience of second level of consciousness, but after having learned something in the process. Uh, it's what uh, some would call post-critical naivete. It's a fancy word for it, but it means the joy, the, the pleasure, the dimension of imagination, the wonder, the awe, the mystery. We get in touch with that, not in a childish way, but now in a mature way. But, but first we have to go through uh, another phase before we're usually able to get to that. And so let me finish up now with uh, the lesson that uh, Johnson draws from the story of Don Quixote what it is maybe we addicts can learn from simple consciousness. Remember, <laughs> this is a simple program for complicated people. So listen up. And the idea, as I said, isn't to go back to simple consciousness. It's actually not possible. Uh, no more than it's possible to go back to successfully drinking and drugging. But it is possible to understand what it is we were looking for through all of that. And hopefully we can learn this lesson in time uh, before Don Quixote finally learned it, but only at the end of his life. So let me kind of close up here with um, a beautiful description that Johnson uses to end this chapter and to lead us into the next. He says this, the story of Don Quixote ends on a somber note. After numerous adventures of faith and heroism, the Don and Sancho Panza return home. Don Quixote lies dying. He now has a moment of lucid insight in which he sees that all his adventures have been unreal exercises of his imagination. He lays all this out before Sancho, who reverses his role and begins to argue that they should set forth again and begin a new search for Dulcinea. Surely this time, argues Sancho, they will find the sweet one in the nightly vision. Don Quixote dies. 
the last few hours of his life were lived as a three-dimensional man, part of the necessary movement toward higher consciousness. The true miracle of the story is the sanctification of Don Quixote and the quixotification of Sancho. The true journey of knighthood and chivalry has been to draw ego and shadow together, to diminish the split in personality indicated by the difference between the two, Don Quixote and Sancho. Not much drama is made of this at the present level, but it'll be crucial when we come to that uh, intensification of the split personified by Faust and Mephistopheles. That's the that's example that Johnson is gonna use for fourth dimension of consciousness, where I'm aware of both and each one changes within me. We'll see, he goes on, an example soon of another hero, Hamlet, who will spend the last moments of his life in the next higher stage of consciousness of which he is capable, that of fourth dimensional man. So uh, he's gonna use each of these characters to help us understand what's going on, what's going on at the deepest levels of our psyche. You know, I remember, I'll never forget, um, I was in a treatment center, I was acting as the chaplain there, had a group of about 25, 30 young guys and, and I asked them, what were they looking for in their drinking and drugging? And, and the, the light in their eyes came on. Where they, where they may have been feeling dull and disinterested just a moment before. That question triggered something. What were you searching for, you know, in your dr drinking and drugging, you know? And the answers were, were beautiful. I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to belong. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be one of because I always felt like I was separated from. I mean, that's the journey. That's the the, the two-dimensional consciousness that motivates, that inspires. But if it's lived out falsely, it isn't gonna work. So so Don Quixote has to come to the realization that what he was doing in his search was false. But Sancho says, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute, there was something real there. There was something alive there. And that's, that's what I say to these young kids. Don't just say, oh, alcohol, drugs, terrible, terrible. Well, they are, I understand that. They screw us all up. But what was it that I was looking for in that alcohol and drugs? Get a hold of that. Find out what that is. Allow that to motivate you and then find a healthy way to go about experiencing it. But don't lose sight of the vision. All right. Some people say, you know, alcoholics are mystics. Addicts are mystics. I, I tend to believe that, you know, but we have to learn how not to get burned up because these emotions, these inner quests 
they're strong, they're powerful, and they need to be rightly directed. Let me close up with a paragraph of uh, Johnson's chapter here. He says, Cervantes and Shakespeare occupied almost the same lifespan. In fact, they both died on the same day, April 23rd, 1616. Don Quixote was published in 1605, and the first edition of Hamlet was probably published in 1604. It is as if the two men stood back to back, Cervantes looking backward and Shakespeare looking forward. Cervantes pointed his genius backward and illuminated the medieval consciousness that was just ending in Europe. He constructed Don Quixote, the unwounded, unself-conscious man of unshakable faith, the man for whom everything works in poetic terms outside the vicissitudes of reality. Cervantes spoke of the childhood of Western man, men who had not yet suffered the shock of being expelled from the Garden of Eden. No better description of two-dimensional man can be found. Shakespeare in Hamlet looked forward and made a statement about the modern man who was to come. And so in the next episode, we'll, we'll uh, do a little study of Hamlet, of modern man, of modern consciousness. And this is where Johnson says most of us find ourselves stuck. <laughs> What's the classic phrase? To be or not to be to have the courage to act and to move forward in life or to stay stuck and just ask why, why me, damn my fate. So I hope, I, I hope some of this is helpful. I know it's deep, deep stuff, but Johnson tries to make it simpler for us. And I think it's important material to understand what's going on at the very deepest levels of our psyche. So I hope you'll join me for the next episode on Hamlet. And meanwhile, uh, keep coming back. God bless and uh, glory to Ukraine.